0: That delay. All right, we um, are going to finish up something today, in, in, in preparation to start a new thing next next Sunday. And so, I appreciate this text we're going to look at today. If you're in the Book of Micah, chapter six, there's a verse there in that chapter that is one that is well known. If you've hung around the church, it's oftentimes is a it's a good wall decoration, um, a refrigerator note, and uh, it's one of those verses that I, I I I sometimes see it, but I don't really stop and let it sink deep and and think deeply on it. And so I I want us to do that here today. I sometimes wonder what it's like for God to look down from heaven and uh, and look at us, His church. Um, I wonder sometimes if that's a positive or a negative experience as He looks around the world and sees the sometimes the confusion, sometimes the callousness of heart that we can have, the chaos that sometimes we uh, we bring into our lives, into our world. And and um, I'm thankful for grace and all of that. But I wonder sometimes there was a video floating around a couple of weeks ago about some a little football team that was uh, trying to do the cool thing of running through the banner before. Uh, before the game started, and so maybe God looks down and, and he sees something like this. Go ahead and play that if you would. So. Let's <laughs> go play again. Now, this time I want you to watch the coach, okay? This must be what the Lord feels like sometimes, all right? <laughs> and one last time, just so make sure you get it all soaked in there. Oh, it ought to be. It ought to be so simple. It ought to be. Just just follow the instructions. Just do what I told you to do. And yet, oftentimes, it becomes something messy. And uh, I don't know if the Lord wears a hat. I don't know about that or not. Um, but I just wonder sometimes if he doesn't want to rip his hat off and say, it wasn't that hard. right? I left it there for you. It's just, just do what I told you to do. And, and I think this is one of those chapters in the Bible, or those verses, specifically, that as you read it, it just boils it down. This is what does it mean to, to love God, to follow God, to follow Christ. I think this Old Testament verse just flows right into who Jesus is and what Jesus, who Jesus was, what Jesus calls us to be. And so we're going to read this verse, and then we're going to unpack the verses before it and behind it in a way that I hope will encourage you today to pursue this kind of life. Micah 6.8 says this. He has shown you, a mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly? And to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Easy verse to read, right? Pretty simple. Those are pretty clear instructions, right? I know I've had some little remodeling things going on in our house. I've had to read some different instructions over the last few weeks, and I've been confused. Um, a YouTube video finally bails me out. But these are not hard instructions, right? Just to to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Those are not hard instructions, and yet they are. Sometimes difficult for us, for me, to keep. And so Micah writes those words, Not that's not a verse that just appears out of nowhere. That verse appears in the context of a, of a conversation, of a teaching that Micah is giving to the people of Israel in the 8th century BC where Micah lived and did his ministry. And it was, a, it was an interesting time. It was a tumultuous time in Israel's history. Now, the kingdom was so great and mighty that David ruled over, that was unified, is now divided. The ten northern tribes are Israel, the two southern tribes are Judah, and Micah is living through this time of division, uh, of divided kingdoms, and, and uh, there's this political military threat that's just on their doorstep from the, the nation of Assyria. And the Assyrians are big, they are powerful, they are angry, and, and they're out for blood. And they're just right on the doorstep. And so it's not just a divided time, it's a tense time, it's a nervous time. And, and Micah is sent into Israel to preach and to teach and to lay out for them why this army is on their doorstep. And what he tries to convince them of it is not the outward forces that have brought this upon them. As you read this t- text in its greater uh, context, what you find is that it's the internal things. It's the things of how they are treating each other and, and living in, in not harmony and not peace with each other that the Lord is finally tired of. They are far from him. They are far from his heart, even though they're doing a lot of religious things, as we'll see. They're far from him. And so he allows this army uh, to come. And in fact, by the time Micah's days will be done, the northern kingdom will be wiped away. All those people will be taken into exile, uh, most of them never to come back again. So it's a very, very nervous, very time of transition in Israel's history and their life. And so what I want to do is I want to ask the questions, what, what's the context of this? Why is this verse written and how can it help us? Because I think in, in looking at what Micah is saying in the context, the greater context of it, I think it helps us to begin to be able to apply that. What does it look like um, to, to pursue justice and, and mercy and, 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 and walking humbly with God? What does that look like? I think these other verses surrounding it help us, and so I hope to help you do that today. And so if we keep reading, starting in verse 8, let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 12, because I want to show you, as Micah continues to write and speak, um, it kind of unpacks what what's the contrast, what's the opposite? mercy and walking humbly with your God and I think he does a good job of showing that to us. Micah chapter 6 verse 9 says this, fear the Lord if you are wise for his voice calls to everyone in Jerusalem the armies of destruction are coming and the Lord is sending them which again maybe, like, if you're in Israel you're thinking why is God sending this army what, are, what have we done, what's, what's going on in our culture, in our, in our people that, that God is doing this verses 10 through 12 unpack that it says this. This is God speaking through Malachi, Micah. What shall I say about the homes of the wicked filled with treasures gained by cheating? What about the disgusting practice of measuring out grain with dishonest measures? Now, if you don't know what that means, if you've ever fudged your scale at home so you feel a little better about yourself, those are uh, cheating scales, right? That's exactly what's going on here, except they're not fudging about their diet. They're fudging about, well, this is what I should pay you. And they're cheating each other. Uh, Those in power are cheating those who who are probably most vulnerable. Um, How can I tolerate your merchants who use dishonest scales and weights? The rich among you have become wealthy through extortion and violence. Your citizens are so used to lying that their tongues can no longer tell the truth. And so what he does is he paints a picture of this, this cultural movement that is going on. Now, what you will not find if you read through Micah's letter or teaching, um, you will not find him criticizing them because they've quit going to the temple. Or they aren't offering sacrifices, or they aren't going to give their tithes. Many of those things are still going on in the temple, but what's happening in the temple isn't affecting what's going on in their daily interactions with people. And so, those in positions of power are abusing that power for for the sake of gain and profit in their own life at the expense of those around them. And so. It, what you find is, is this picture, this contrast. What's it mean to pursue justice and mercy and walking humbly? Well, the opposite of that is what we've just seen, right? Practicing injustice towards each other and, and showing no mercy to those who may be needed and, and certainly not walking humbly with God because that's not what God is, is. If you're walking with God, that's not the path God is walking in. And so, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, let's go back to verse 1 now, what you find is a courtroom scene that is that is kind of played out there. Where you uh, f- you can pick your Judge Judy, um, somebody after first service night court. That's an old reference. haven't heard of that for a long time. But pick because this is exactly what is played out here. God is putting Israel... Um, under charges and he's going to accuse them of something and they're going to try to defend themselves get out of this and so watch how this plays out beginning in verse 1 listen to what the Lord says stand up plead my case before the mountains let the hills hear what you have to say hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation listen you everlasting foundations of the earth for the Lord has a case against his people he is lodging a charge against Israel and so what, what's all the mountain talk? What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the mountains that have been there for a long, long time, right? These are these standing witnesses of everything that's happened below them. So if you could uh, uh, breathe life into the mountains and they could talk, if like they a fly on the wall kind of thing. If they could talk, they could testify to what God is about to say. That they have watched. They have watched that the, the, the thing that he's going to try to communicate to them, they've seen that God has been very, very good To his people. He didn't model for them injustice. He didn't model for them a merciless life. He didn't model for them this prideful, self-seeking kind of life. In fact, this is what he did for them. Verse 3. My people, what have I done to you? Have I burdened you? I want you to answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to you to lead you and Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what... Balak, king of Moab, plotted what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Just as a reference there, Uh, Balak wanted to curse Israel and and, and in the course of that, he hired Balaam to do it and yet when Balaam went to speak, God changed his words and it blessed Israel instead. So again, just an example of God being good to them. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. That's the journey into the promised land through the flooded uh, Jordan River that God parted and let them walk into the land. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so what's he doing? He's presenting evidence of all the good things that he has been to them. I have treated you well. I have been good to you, Israel. When you were enslaved in Israel, I was good to you and I brought you out into freedom. I gave you leaders because I was good to you. When wicked kings came against you, I was good to you. Remember the Jordan River that was flooded and kept you out of the promised land I wanted to give you. I parted it. I let you walk in on dry ground. I was good to you. I have been good to you. Now, why this? Why this evidence being submitted in the courts? Because God is trying to make a point that they are not treating one another with the same goodness that they have been treated from God. And so the case might be presented in this way, that when you forget and lose focus on how good God has treated you, the way you ought to treat others is going to start to get blurry, one of the things that drives us to maybe be good to people, to practice justice and mercy and walk humbly with God is to remember all the ways that God has been good to us. We've been looking at some of Jesus' parables last month or two, and you see that a lot, right? Those who, who are forgiven much, love much, those kinds of things that Jesus would say. And so God has been good to them. And so in verses 6 and 7, then, it, you get the other side, okay? God has made his charges, okay? I've been good to you. Here's my evidence. Uh, I've got a his- long history of it. The mountains can testify to it. And so Israel understands that. They, they say, yeah, you've been good to us. And so how do we make God, who seems to be upset, how do we make him less upset, right? How do we appease him and, and, and get him off our back and and, and kind of cop a deal here so that we can get out of jail free okay Micah 6 and 7 is the people's response okay it says with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of olive oil shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul In other words, they're wrestling with, well, what can we go to the temple and do, because if we're going to please God, they assume that I go to a building, and in that building I do something religious, and by doing something religious, like an offering or a sacrifice or, or something I will do there, pouring out olive oil or sacrificing something important to me, by doing those religious things, somehow I will honor and please God. Now, what he's not saying is that those things are bad things. What he was saying is that they're not the only things, that there's something much deeper that God is trying to lead them to, that Micah is trying to remind the people of. And that then takes us back to chapter 6, verse 8, where we began, where he says, if you want to do right by me, if you want to make this right, here's the path. He has shown you. O mortal, what is good? So what have they been doing? They've been asking the question, what's the good thing we should do? Sacrifices, all this stuff? No. Here's, he's shown you, right? Evidence A, all the good things God has done. He's shown you what goodness is. And what does the Lord require of you? He wants you to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, mercy, and humility. Justice, mercy, and Humility. That's what God wants. You, you want to correct all this stuff that's going on? Here's where you start. Start with justice and start with mercy and start with humility. What does he mean by those words? And there are sermons, in, it, in each one of them by themselves. But just to summarize, that justice, what is justice? All over the world, people are crying out for justice, right? Everybody, whether you have a biblical worldview or don't have any, any God's nowhere on your radar, we all understand we want justice, right? Um, somebody has done us wrong. That's why every country song exists, right? Somebody's done me wrong, right? That's why I, want, I need some justice in the world, right? And so that's where we all feel that, But the Bible, oftentimes when we want justice, we want revenge. We want retaliation. And there is an element of that in the Bible. But much more so, the Bible's view on justice is much more of restoring and building and blessing. And so justice in this context, just think about what we've read so far today. Justice means we don't wrong people. When I'm doing business with someone, I'm fair with them. I don't cheat them. I don't victimize someone. I don't take advantage of them. Or maybe it means I help those who have been wronged, Um, someone who's been taken advantage of. It's the presence of active good that um, I speak up, as Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says. I speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Um, It means that we try to right what's wrong. Someone did an interesting parallel with this passage and held it up against the, uh, the Good Samaritan story. Right, where, where the guy is beaten up by robbers left for dead and, and two people walk by him and then finally the Samaritan comes by and he stops and he helps this guy. And they make the point, they make the parallel that if you uh, were to kind of look at that, I think it, part of what this justice mercy thing is, is that you stop and you lift someone who has been victimized. Life has been hard to them. They had no voice. They had no help. And and you are that help for them. That's what justice and mercy is partly about. But part of justice is maybe after the fact, we ask the question, well, well, how do I make the road a little safer? How do we make this? How do we leverage power and influence and and what we have to, to make our little part of the world a little bit better? for other people who are coming behind us. And so there's this justice theme that, that this text fleshes out and, and shows you what it looks like. But also there's mercy. Again, the Good Samaritan is a perfect example of that because when Jesus says, talks about mercy in that story of the Good Samaritan, he uses mercy as a verb. Mercy is something you do. It is not something you feel. It is not a noun. It is a verb. It is practiced. It is, it is done to someone else. And that most people in this world, you live in a world that, that were very much merit-based, right? What you get is what you deserve, and karma and all that kind of stuff. But those who know God, those who claim to know Jesus, understand this idea of mercy. Because whether you're Old Testament or New Testament, everything that God's people received and inherited was all a gift of his mercy. There was no earning it. There was no merit. There was no, well, I deserve this. What I deserve is nothing good from God, but what I receive is mercy. What I get from him is, is better than I deserve. And so mercy certainly reflects God. It reflects what he is and what he's done for us. And so there's the justice and mercy, and there's this humility. Without humility, you'll never show justice. You'll never show mercy, because you're always trying to protect and defend yourself. But humility, as Philippians 2 will talk about, says that, that we do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, we value others. Um, above ourselves. And, and how do you learn to do that? You've got to be walking humbly with God, a, a God who humbles himself in the person of Jesus to show us this is what humility looks like. And so sometimes when you walk humbly with God, it means that you go where God wants to take you. And so if you're walking through Israel in Micah's day, Where is the path of walking humbly with God? It's going to go to the widow, to the orphan, to the foreigner, to the destitute, not taking advantage of them because they are simply a tool to make myself rich. But I'm going to walk humbly with God, and I'm probably going to end up there with, how can I help you? What can I do to lift your life and to bless you in some way, shape, or form? Uh, How can I be fair? How can I be good to you? How can I practice justice and help you? How can I show mercy to you and lift your life in some way, shape, or form? and so those words justice and mercy and humility is what Micah calls his people of his day to. And I don't think it's a big stretch at all to think those very certainly flow right into the New Testament because when you think of who was Jesus, that's exactly who he was. He was just. He, he was justice in so many ways. Uh, he, he was mercy in person. In- Incarnate, and he was humble. Just this humble walk of complete dependence, following God wherever he wanted him to go, and engaging with anybody. He was never above someone. And so there's a whole idea of justice and mercy and humility that Micah is calling us to. And so, again, go back to that whole idea, though. Just kind of camp here as we finish. The, uh, the Israelites, as they ask the question, well, God, how do we fix this, right? We know that you're not happy with how we treat treated people. How do we fix it? their thinking was, well, let's go to the building where we worship God in, and let's just do church better. Let's sing louder, or let's give more, or let's do something in the box that, that makes it's a religious thing where I can kind of control a little bit more. But that's not what God says. And so there's two things that I'm going to put on the screen here. I don't know if you want to write them down or not, but you're welcome to if you, if you choose to. The first one is this, that the heart of worship is really about getting God's heart into his worshipers' hearts. That um, what does it mean to worship God? It is not coming to a building and doing a set of rituals, hoping that God is pleased for a week and, and I'll go about my business and I can do whatever I want the rest of the week, and it has no impact with what happens on my Sunday morning, or Saturday morning in their case. Um, the heart of worship is about getting God's heart into his worshiper, into his, the worshiper's hearts. And so when we think about, well, what is real worship... Worship is something that happens to me and to you, where my heart begins to be changed into the image, into the likeness, into the thinking, into the living of God, of walking humbly with him, and that I become more and more like him. I think like him. I see the world like him. And I care about the world like he cares about the world. I, I try to be like him. And, and so there's nothing, again, I love church. I'm glad you're here. You should be a part of church. Uh, I don't think you can really do the Christian life very well without church. And so I love church. But I don't love church by itself. Church is a means to an end. Our gathering together is meant to say, "Okay, how can I come today and and have my heart changed a little bit by God's word or by prayer or by, by worship? How can I become a little bit more like him in a way that my daily life reflects a little bit more of him uh, through my life. And the second thing I would add to that, then, well, if, if worship is about changing my heart, then what are we changing it to? That the heart of God is all about how the worshipers in here treat all the folks out there. And there's that tangible thing that Mike is connecting that says, "You can do all the nice temple things you want, but I'll know you're really mine. You have my heart when it begins to show up in your business transactions, when you're no longer taking advantage of poor people because it makes you richer. You're no longer putting people down and and, and abusing the system for your own wealth. You are fair. You are honest. You are merciful. You are walking humbly with me. Micah had a contemporary that you're probably more familiar with. His name was Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, he writes a very similar passage to what Micah describes when he says this. In Micah, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11, says, what makes you think, I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord. I am sick of your burnt offerings, of rams, and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of, of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop gifts the incense of your offering disgusts me as for your celebrations of the new moon the sabbath and your special days for fasting they are sinful and false i want no more of your pious meetings i hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals they are a burden to me i cannot stand them when you lift up your hands in prayer i will not look Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your heart, hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. So let's pause there before we go on. Where did all those ideas to do those things came from? Those are from God. Those are law things that God has given to his people. I want you to do these things to worship me. But God had they missed the point. All right, they, they came to a box. They came to a place, to a tent. And they did those things, but it didn't ripple out in their life and change how they dealt with each other out there. All right, they just thought, we'll come and do the ritual here, and then we'll go do whatever we want out there. But God says, I'm sick of that. No more of that. That disgusts me. And so he finishes in verse 16. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn excuse me, to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. In other words, those who are most vulnerable in the culture that are easily taken advantage of, easily picked on, easily abused, fight for them. Show mercy and justice and walk humbly with me towards them. Because that's where my heart is. If you're walking with me, that's where my heart, that's where my walk is going towards those people in the community. And this is not just here. If you were to just go through the Old Testament and the New as well, you'll just find a string of scriptures that sound a lot like this from Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. He upholds, in Psalm 146, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed, bow, excuse me, bowed, down, bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Proverbs 14:31. whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Zechariah 7, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice and show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. Dozens, if not hundreds more verses that you could just string together and read them because that's where God's heart is. And so we get to the end of this and, and he has summarized, Micah has summarized in a beautiful way um, what God asks of us in a memorable way, right? What's the Lord asking us to do in this simple, concise way? But it's not easy because everything in the world around you fights for a different kind of living. But yet Micah invites us, God invites us through Micah to this life, to this life where it's, it's justice and it's mercy and it's humility. And it's justice and it's mercy and it's humility. And that, that life that is just lived out day by day is just one that's going to look a lot like God. It's going to echo a lot of these verses that we've seen here. And so I share this with you today for a couple of reasons. Um, One is because I think it fits well with the whole thing of this is what Christians do. right? It's something that we should do. It's something we should be. It it should be that what happens here should should change the way I I live in my neighborhood, in my school, in my workplace. uh, That I should be a certain kind of person because I come to a place like this. But I also share it because I think it introduces something that we're going to transition to next week, and we're going to begin looking through the book of Ephesians, and under the title of, of nooks and crannies. Now, that's not a phrase we use a lot, it's probably an old, older term, but nooks and crannies, what are those? Nooks and crannies are those little hidden spaces in your home, in your life, right? Those closets you never go to, uh, the corners you never clean, all those nooks and crannies of, the, of life that you think, well, those things are far removed from my, my normal path, But yet, when you read the book of Ephesians, what you find is that Jesus rules over every nook and cranny. But the beauty of what Jesus does through his resurrected life is that he sends people like you and like me to go to those nooks and crannies, to be in those nooks and crannies. In fact, you're already in those nooks and crannies, places that that the body as a whole will never be. But you are because you live there, you work there, you go to school there, you're involved there. And so those nooks and crannies, God wants to let you be a person who who is just and who is merciful and is humble in that place. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says. It says this in verses 22 and 23. And he subjected everything under Christ's feet. God subjected everything under Christ's feet. In other words, he owns it all, he's over it all, and he appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. I little phrase all things in every way is what we're going to think about in the next few weeks. You look at the world, and there's a lot of evil things going on. There's a lot of places that you look at, maybe even in your own life, you think, I don't know how that could ever change because that seems beyond the reach of God's goodness and his leadership and his lordship. And, and God's response in part is, well, I've got you there. And I've got you there, and you matter. And your life is redeemed, and your life is filled, and the same Christ who rose, or same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in you. And so those nooks and cranny places, don't just wait for the preacher to show up, because I've got you, my church. I've got you, my bride, you, my sons and my daughters. You're there in those nooks and crannies. And, and so it's part of our role then is to wake up to that reality to realize, you know what, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here, and, and I don't know what being just and merciful and humble looks like, but I'm going to pursue that, and, and depending on God and walking humbly with him, that, boy, God, could you use me to be a light in all those nooks and crannies in this community and in the world around us, that God could, could bring to light what already is. Jesus already rules over all these things, but that it would become visible as more and more people... See and experience and trust in the lordship of Christ in all the nooks and crannies of our life, and so I share this because I think it leads into that. That what is God calling us to do in all those nooks and crannies? He doesn't need superheroes. He doesn't need people that are that are uh, that are that much different. He just needs a surrendered, humble person walking with Him, who will look for opportunities to pursue justice with a person or, or people, and who will show mercy to people, and to practice that in so many different ways, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your home. He's asking you to pursue justice and mercy and humility. And so I would just ask, if you um, would, if you do begin to read through this book, I, I hope that we're going to spend about... 12 weeks going through it. And, and I hope that you'll just read through that book and you'll know that book inside and out by the time we're done. There'll be Sunday School Classes. You can join in with that starting here in the next week or two. There'll be opportunities for you to plug in with that. But I pray that through all of this, that through uh, the example of Jesus, Who lived justice and who lived mercy and who lived humility, that we could be difference makers in all those nooks and crannies as Christ uses us day by day by day in all of those different places that you and I go. And so let's ask his help as we finish here today to be what we can't be on our own. It's hard to pursue justice. It's hard to be merciful. It's hard to be humble. And so we need his help. So let's ask him for that help as we finish this morning. Our God and our Father, we are thankful Thankful for your word. Thank you for the, 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 the simplicity of, of what Micah lays out for us, but yet the complexity of it at the same time. Lord, day by day, may we just humbly walk with you and allow the worship and the songs that, that we do here in a public place to, to really be the mantra and the, and the motivation of our life day by day uh, on Monday through Saturday that this, the same God we claim to, to worship and sing and, and trust in here, that that will be evident. And so as we deal with people, that we will be just and fair and helpful and, and merciful and humble before them. And that in some way we might help to lift their life, but most importantly, that they might see, um, see you through our life in some way, shape, and form. And so Father, just help us Help us to do this because this is not easy in a world that that demands revenge, but to really pursue biblical justice of of, of reconciliation and and forgiveness and and being made whole again and helping people and helping our own relationships to do that and, and being merciful in a world where mercy is just not cool. And so help us to be a people of mercy. And, Father, in a world of pride where we have thrust ourselves to the forefront because we have to be noticed, we have to be liked, but you just give us that godly humility that allows us to be the servant, that allows us to be the, the one who gives and the one who, who shares and the one who releases self so that you may shine through us. And so help us, Father, to be just, to merciful, and to be humble. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So you may ask, well, how do I get there? I think the song we're going to finish with here today is all about that. It's about taking time to spend with Him, to spend with the one who offers you justice. When you deserved wrath, He became your justice and that He died for you and that He became everything that you needed so that all those things that you did to offend God could be forgiven and the mercy that, that you desperately needed from God came from Jesus, and, and the humility that, that allows it all to happen, where do we find that? We find it by walking with Jesus. And so as we sing here, I just pray that you be prayerful, that you, as you think about these words, that they would be your prayer, and that you'd be asking God, God, where is it in my life that I need to be practicing these traits? And so let's stand and let's worship him as we finish this morning.